So the, the pre-show rant probably is going to get us going here. So Yes. That gets us fired up. But hopefully it will also mean that we don't spend nearly as much time dealing with those ranty things. You mean in you the don't, you of the don't want to rant for 20 minutes and talk about oh, the Bible really, for 10 minutes? I really, really do want to rant for, Hello, for 20 minutes. But I uh, want to talk about the Bible for an hour or so, and we really can't do that. So. Hello. Greetings. Ahoy. <laughs> Your turn. <laughs> So, yeah, I've discovered the beauty of really short podcasts lately. Do you want to do that? Ligonier Ministries has put out a new one from R.C. Sproul, who passed away about three years ago. And it's like two to three minute clips from sermons and stuff. Oh. So it's it's just these little. Are you bites. telling me that you want to do that? Because that seems <laughs> do, like more work. Do we work need more for work? <laughs> it seems like more work. I'm pretty for sure me. we got our hands full already. And, and they have a full staff to be able to do these things. But it, it I, I love it because normally you know as I'm listening to a full RC Sproul lecture, which are fantastic, I, I, I love them. Um, it's very clarifying, mm. but. To have it distilled down into just a, you know, here's a, a paragraph. So I'm not I taking on the yeah. whole chunk. Um, I like stuff like that because it's just enough to, like, make you think and, like, yeah, want to look at more. It's handy for me on my short commute from, you know, however, 10 blocks or whatever it is uh, to be able to to put that on in the car and hear pretty much the whole thing instead of having to jump back and forth over and over. But Don't look for it here. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we tend to do long-form things here, although I feel much better about ours. Uh, another podcast I, I recommend regularly is the Just Thinking podcast, as we've talked about before with Daryl Harrison and, and Virgil Walker. Strongly recommend it. But oh, what a great name, Virgil Walker. I know, right? His nickname is Omaha. So I call him Omaha all the time. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, he's apparently from Nebraska. But no. anyway, <laughs> he's one of seven <laughs> black men from, from was Nebraska, his apparently. In high it was. <laughs> so anyway, uh, their newest podcast on critical race theory is like three and a half hours long. That sounds light. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why it's three and a half hours long. So they, they put a lot of research into it. I'm it's sure, really as they should. It's really well done as far as the content goes, but it... it You're listening to three and a half hour podcasts? N- no. Oh, that's, okay. I'd listen to it over the course of weeks. Gotcha. You know, so I'll listen to a piece at a time. That's interesting, because like if a movie is... Some movies now are like three hours, three and a half hours, and I can sit through that, but like audiobooks or podcasts or whatever, I'm like, this needs to be like under an hour <laughs> right. or I'm out. That's right. So. That's, that's how I feel a lot of the time. So like Breakpoint podcast, I like the four-minute Breakpoint yeah. stuff that they do, but it's all in one podcast, kind of like we do here. So it's one podcast channel. And then their, their um, Colson Center weekend stuff, the Breakpoint podcast thing, uh, is like an hour-long mm. interview, or maybe it's a half hour. I don't know. It seems it's a, it's a longer form uh, thing. And... Uh, I, I avoided it for the longest time, and I've been listening lately and really enjoying it. So there are a lot of really good Christian content podcasts out there, and I'm discovering new ones all the time. There's also a lot of garbage. I'm shocked at how much garbage are you really is shocked? out there in popular Christian circles. I'm not. There's. I'm not shocked at all by the world. I am shocked at how much false teaching and garbage is promoted as reliable Christian teaching within Christian circles. That's dangerous. It, it, it's really, it's frightening to me to see how badly people um, twist the scriptures simply, and, and some of it is nefarious and, and, and deliberate, but a lot of it is just bad 
hermeneutics. So you're, you're going into uh, a Bible passage, and when you have folks teaching, and, th- and this is the, the danger of podcasts even like this, is, is you have folks who have not learned how to read and interpret the Bible. And so, and I'm not suggesting everybody who talks about the Bible needs to have a, a, a podcast or needs to have a seminary degree. A podcast or, degree. <laughs> And there is that. Don't you have one? Don't you have a podcast something, degree? Something so, like that. Um, but like Ali Beth Stuckey. Very expensive podcast. <laughs> Ali Beth Stuckey, for example, who is, she uh, has historically gone by the handle, the conservative millennial. I think that's still her Twitter handle, if I'm not mistaken. But she actually is, she's like 29, does not have a baby. formal training that, right. that, that I know of other than just a general college degree. And I don't even know what it's in. Um, and her podcast is a mix of political and cultural things mm-hmm. and Bible stuff. But her Bible is really solid. I mean, she does a really nice job of handling the, the scriptures and doesn't overstep. Well, she doesn't know. She says she doesn't know. You know, right. pretty pretty good things like that. Uh, so there are, there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of room where we can, as lay people, see the scriptures, read the scriptures. But when we start to then read into the scriptures instead of drawing from. We, we engage in eisegesis, reading into it instead of exegesis, taking from it. Then we get into some really dangerous places and we start to interpret scripture in these mystical ways uh, as if uh, this is some great code. You know, right. and back in the 90s, that was a really big thing that many people remember. In fact, I just saw some YouTube videos promoting it again, the, the numerical you know, Bible code idea that if we can just solve this great Every mystery of letter. the scripture, mm-hmm. you know, then we'll we'll finally get it. But the reality is that the mystery has already been revealed in Christ. Great transition! So, yeah, well, wow. Yeah. Uh, but that, but that's I mean, God didn't give us the scriptures to hide Himself, to but conf- to reveal or to confuse himself. anybody, right? And so I think I just said confuse. I meant confuse. <laughs> so in a plain reading of the text, with normal. The same as you would read anything else, there is a, a meaning there that you right. can see. Right. And, and as we wrestle through the different aspects of, of genre and so on, there is, there is a reality that just like, and the Bible is not like anything else. It, it's a spiritual uh, book that we interpret through spiritual means as the Holy Spirit makes clear. But God does things decently and in good order. And he He uses the same literary means in the scriptures that he has given us for every other piece of writing. The brain still works the same way. Mm-hmm. So when I'm reading Huck Finn, for example, which I'm pretty sure has been canceled, but you know, if I'm reading a Mark Twain thing, I read it just plain. Mm-hmm. And I understand what Plain he's saying. Plain. If I'm reading uh, a right. math book, because you know, my brother-in-law does that for fun. When he wants to relax, he gets out his calculus book from college. That's crazy. Nobody sane does that. Get some help. Right. <clears throat> but anyway, <laughs> Brad, I know you're not listening, but if you are, more power to you because I would it's not It's all the black coffee that. he drinks. So you, you read it knowing what it is with a plain understanding. But there are some things when you're reading poetry or whatever else, you right. read it, and in that plain reading and understanding, you can recognize it. the tone a- that it's not, this might be more in an allegory like right. John Bunyan's right. uh, Pilgrim's Progress. 
I can read it, and it's a story in itself that's that's great. But it's really, it only means something when I recognize, ah, there's a deeper meaning behind right. this. Right. I took a I took a poetry class in college. I just um, elbowed our backdrop. So. Everything's an illusion. Um, I took a poetry class in college, and actually, I went to an all-girls Catholic college. And this wasn't the norm for me, but a nun taught that class, mm. and she was a very—I <laughs> mean, she was not what my definition growing up of what thinking nuns were was like. She was—I mean, I really liked her, but she was this very forward-thinking, um, not from a political stance, but I would say liberal-thinking uh, nun. And I really enjoyed her poetry class, but um, every single poem we read, like the basis of it, you read the poem, and then the rest of the class is just open discussion on what this person thinks it means and what this person mm. thinks it means. And you never come to a conclusion, like there's no like, right. this is actually what it means, right. that you're all wrong or this person's right, this is what it means. It was just you left every class after two hours with all these conflicting ideas. And I couldn't ever fully decide if I liked that or not because I would have my own convictions about what something meant and this person might see something totally different. And it can be a fun discussion. Right, right. And 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 I think it's good to see other people's perspectives on things and to see how they might interpret that. But I think... But to figure out what it actually meant, you right. need to know what the author meant. Right. What did the person who wrote, wrote right. it, what did they mean? What was like, their intent? If I'm writing a song, I don't think anybody's going to get it like the exact same way right. that I was feeling when I wrote it. Right. And it, and it might be useful in a lot of ways it's right. going to connect and I hope with that people it is. differently. That's what I always hoped, yeah. But it means what you mean it to mean. Right. Period. Not what you mean it to mean. Right. What the author and, means and, it to and, mean. And what they draw from it. Right. Okay, that that can be good and can be bad, but it does not mean that just because they feel it that that's what this Which line means. Which I think means. when it comes to the Bible, what we've talked about 70 million times is context. Right, exactly. <laughs> is, is the important thing here. Well, and even, you know, just to stick with the theme of, of your songwriting, which, by the way, terrific, and I think it's getting better every time you write. Thanks. But um, the that, that Killing Christmas song that, that we did not too long ago um, at Christmas. That uh, was appropriate. It was, I, I still think, is one of the best songs that, that I've heard from you. And that song, it means a lot just hearing it. But it means more when you understand the context. If, like if you're part of that sermon series that we were doing and, and you're involved in all of those things and you grasp where we're, where we're coming from, then you're going to have a better understanding, knowing the context, you're going to have a better understanding of what you meant, what, what you were trying to communicate in that song. Now somebody else might get something else right. from it, but there is really only one true interpretation of your song. There might be many applications of your song. People might might be able to, you know, take things from it, but there's only one right way to understand it. And the same thing is true with the scriptures. The the right way to understand it is not what I feel about it, but what the author actually was writing, what the author was saying. And more specifically, because we're talking about scripture, and it is inspired by God, and these writers didn't do so on their own, under their own strength, but they were carried along by the Spirit. So as they're writing, it's not just what the author intends, but what does God intend through that author? And God uses those human means, uh, the, the, the author's personality, their context, their language, and so on. But God is communicating through his word. And so when we read Ephesians which happens to be where we are. And we're looking specifically at Ephesians chapter 
two, right? Mm-hmm. Two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm preparing three now, so I got to make sure I'm in the same passage. But, you Spoiler know, alert, we're as, going to three. It is a big surprise. As we're working through this thing, it's not a matter of what do, how does this make me feel first, not primarily. There's a place in our understanding of it where we get to that because it is intended to impact us, to transform us. But for me to get what God intends for me to get from this, I have to look at what is Paul saying to his audience? Who's his audience? What's the context that he's saying this? What what does he mean? And what is the big picture that we're looking at? And for example, we're talking about Ephesians, uh, you know, Ephesians chapter. So it is chapter three. It's the first part of chapter three. It's the oh, second part. I thought it was two. It my bad. So <laughs> it's all blending together for me. But as we're as we're looking at this, if we're looking at Ephesians three verses one to to thirteen then I have to understand what's going on in the rest of chapter 3. What happened in chapter 2? What's Paul saying in the big picture of the whole thing? So that's why, you know, as we're teaching through it, as we're we're discussing it, as we're reading it, we want to look at, you know, what's, what's the overall? What's the big picture? And so, you know, we call it the core reality as we describe it. But what's the main idea the, the melodic line that runs through this whole thing. What's the transformational intent that he's got for us? And in, in the book itself, uh, we see that, that God's great purpose is to bring all things together under his kingdom rule in Jesus Christ. And that includes us being reconciled to God and therefore reconciled to one another and then seeing our, our, our living, our daily walk, reconciled to who we are in Christ. So that theme of unity, wholeness, reconciliation runs through the whole book. So if I'm reading, for example, um, this this part where, where Paul is talking about this is, uh, you know, for this reason I, Paul, and then he jumps into all of the the description of his ministry and the, the gift of grace that God has given him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I have to look at that in the context of what he's talking about in the rest of it. And if I understand that full context, which again, doesn't take a Bible degree. It's, right. I'm, I'm not you know, suggesting everybody has to go get a, a Greek New Testament and, and study that Greek text. We have access to so many tools today, more access to the Bible and the ability to unlock it in a scholarly way than any generation ever in the history of mankind. Never have we had such access and ability to, to see and read these things and to understand them rightly. And that's not including commentaries and teachers, just in the tools to be able to actually understand it. When we look at it from that perspective, here's here's what God's doing overall. Here's what Paul's writing in this letter overall. Here's what he said in chapter 1 about God coming and, and choosing and adopting and predestining us. And, and, and then we have to kind of strip away our preconceived notions. We hear words like predestination and boom, we get our, our systematic theology, whether we realize we have one or not. There's a framework we have that, that then shapes our thinking. We got to strip that away and see what does the text say? Right. What, is, what is he getting across here? And then rather than saying, Paul can't mean this because I've been taught a certain way. Right. <clears throat> we could say, wait a minute, maybe I need to adjust what I learned because this is what the Bible actually says in its original context, in the plain meaning of the text, and I can begin to put those things together and draw from it then principles that I can, as I extrapolate those principles, I can apply the principles 
to my life. Because Paul's not writing to Stacy and Pastor Rich right. on the podcast. He's not writing to us in 2021. I, without question in my mind, I'm sure that Paul would have fully believed that the Lord would have returned before this time mm. because he could only see what he could see. But he's writing to the church at Ephesus and the surrounding area in the first century in a primarily Gentile setting, in the, the empire of Rome, in the, the metropolitan area that houses the great temple of Artemis. And he's been in a relationship with them, and now he's been gone, and he's imprisoned, he's in, under house arrest in Rome, and, and he's writing back to them as the church has continued to grow and morph and develop, and people come and go in this cosmopolitan area. And he's unveiling for them what God has unveiled in Christ. And he's, he's not correcting errors. He's saying, look, here is the beauty of the gospel, that God is reconciling all people to himself, not just Jews, but Gentiles and Jews, those who have been insiders and those who have been far, far away from God. And all of you together are being built into this holy temple where God manifests himself, where God is, is present. So we are the display of his glory together as we're being built into this, this house. And for that reason, he says, I pray. Wait, before I tell you about the prayer part, let me back up and, mm. and look at this ministry. So I'm, I'm suffering, I'm in prison for, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Mm -hmm. If in fact you actually get this, if you're a Gentile believer, if you've understood this mystery of the gospel, then I'm doing this for you, right? I'm, I'm doing this for the sake of the elect. Now, he explains what that's all about. And in this first part of chapter three, um, Paul is basically letting us know that God's master plan is revealed in Christ and displayed in his church with present suffering. It's kind of couched in this idea of him as a prisoner with present suffering, but with lasting glory. So he, he wraps up this first portion of chapter three by saying, don't be discouraged by the hardships you see me going through. Yeah, I'm, I'm chained to this Roman guard and so on. And, and, you know, they're probably not enduring a, a huge amount of persecution yet. That becomes a bigger thing later. But there's some persecution already, uh, which is why he's, he's imprisoned. And he's imprisoned by Rome, but because of the Jewish leadership. So as, uh, as Paul in, in every city started in the synagogue and was rejected, then those Jewish leaders would come against him. In Ephesus in particular, when he was preaching there, he was opposed not just by the Jews, although that, there was the stirring of the pot there, but also by the Gentiles because his preaching of the gospel led to changed lives. And in a, in a city whose whole economy is based on Immorality is based on this idolatry, not unlike so much of our economy today, where right. it's based on our on the appeal of sin of the, of, to the flesh. Uh, which takes me back to our pre-show rant here. But anyway, as as people's lives were being changed and they were repenting, turning from sin to God, they were no longer buying and and. Uh, engaging in the idol worship that was going on. So the people who made, the craftsmen who made these idols, 
got pretty fired up, and, and one guy in particular got the rest of the crowd fired up. So the the this the guild of the Smiths, if you will, these these idol, which is an '80s band, but uh, as as these idol makers were seeing their money go away because right. of the transformed lives, a riot ends up breaking out in Ephesus, and so Paul ends up, you know, dealing with the situation there. He go, he leaves, but there's. There's a persecution that comes from the religious establishment. There's a persecution that comes from the immorality of the world, the, the irreligious and godless, or the, the pagan religious and godless. Um, and so he's talking to them about this and saying, man, don't get down. Don't, don't be discouraged. Rather be encouraged because the fact that I'm doing this, the fact that I'm imprisoned, is a confirmation of the the reality that that this message is for you that mm -hmm. this mystery of the gospel that was veiled previously this is it's not new it's the same message that God has always had that I didn't see at first when I was persecuting the church which is why he refers to himself in this passage as the least of all of all the brothers he as a pharisee he knew the scriptures well, and he was passionate for the holiness of God, but he didn't get what God was doing until God revealed it to him directly by, by a divine revelation. But the mystery, while it was revealed to Paul in this divine revelation, was already made clear in Christ. So Paul wasn't the only one seeing it, but the divine revelation to him to go and preach this gospel to the Gentiles was, it was a unique experience that immediately when Paul is converted by this direct intervention of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 10, we see God giving the same message, essentially, the message of uh, reconciliation of Jew and Gentile alike in Christ, to Peter with his vision of the sheet coming down from heaven with all the unclean animals. And, and God says, kill and eat, don't call unclean what God has called clean. So Peter, who is not specifically the apostle to the Gentiles, receives this message from God immediately after, in the narrative of, of the book of Acts, immediately after we see Paul being converted from, from the purest of the pure Jews persecuting these believers to now becoming a believer mm -hmm. and recognizing, wait, God is... God is making this open to all people. Right, right. And that's what where, where we find him in Ephesians. And that's kind of the message that, that he's got in this first part is, yeah, the, the, the manifold wisdom of God, his master plan, the glory of his wisdom and his beauty and his love, this overarching sovereign grace that God's got, is, is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And specifically, as he points out here in Ephesians, through the unified church, as people see uh, all of these believers united in Christ who don't have much else in common in, in themselves, in their sinful state, were opposed to each other, hated one another. And, and we see that today when we talk about the black church or the white church. These are not godly distinctions. This is not biblical. You, know, you might have a church that is primarily attended culturally by people of a, of a specific background. You know, just like you might, you know, if you're in Africa or India or, or Europe, you're going to see different connections there in the churches. But we should not and we cannot ever be divided by our earthly, temporal divisions, these the cultural things. We are one church, one body. 
And if literally we, every other thing is trying to do that, exactly in the whole that's, like everything is divisive nowadays. I that's mean. right, and and truthfully, that's not new. I mean, that's been one no, of Satan's tools forever. Maybe it, it seems more you know violent these days because of social media or things like right. that. And he, he's doing the same face. job. He's right. just using some some new tools, right. new technologies, and so on as they develop. But it's the same picture. He wants to wreck relationships, and he wants to wreck the family. Wants to wreck the church. Anything that promotes godliness, he wants to destroy. And the beautiful thing is Jesus has already told us that he's building his church. Mm -hmm. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it ever. It's not going to happen. So we know how this ends, but we display God's glory when we, as a diverse body, differently shaped stones are built into this temple. So... Paul is, is pointing this out that because of all of this truth, all, of, all the things that he's set up to this point, he's, he's, telling, he's about to tell them about how he prays for them. We'll see that next week. But in the middle of that, he interrupts his own thought, which I can personally identify with, and he kind of, side, you know, kind of takes this little sidetrack to say, look, this ministry that God's given to me, this is because the gospel is for everybody. Mm-hmm. And Paul became a servant, a slave of the gospel because he was transformed by it. He was changed by that gospel. And the same thing is true for all of us. If we have been changed, if we've been transformed by the gospel, then we desperately want to make that gospel clear to others. Mm-hmm. The, in the same way that he was specifically called to preach the gospel and to make it plain to everyone, to preach to the Gentiles specifically. But he doesn't pass up opportunities. He starts out in every city speaking to the Jews. Because this is not a religious mandate, it's a reality that he has finally gotten and embraced. And when we move from the religion of Christianity to the reality that there is a holy God who's created all things, including all of us, for his glory. And we are, by our natural state, rebellious against him and dead in our sins. But by his grace, he makes us alive when we place our trust in Christ. Because I knew that lifeboat thing. I think it was a TikTok, actually. Um, and and, yes, yeah. And I thought that was a great depiction you want of, to describe that no um okay. <laughs> i because i mean i always forget how it starts what the actual question was somebody asked this guy a question like why would a loving god send people to hell that's the, the exact yeah. question yeah. and the guy's response was something to the effect of he doesn't send he's not sending you to hell you were already going to hell from right. the moment you were born right. but uh, you know god acts as as uh, a boat or a life preserver to save you from that when you choose to believe in him and follow his word and he doesn't he doesn't say oh now you're going to hell you were there you were going there you were dead and he is bringing you to life so i thought that was a, a good Representation of an image in your yeah, and and all of these illustrations are going to break down because that's you know we're talking about divine 
matters in, but in I, human language. Right. But I think it is a good picture to help us see it's not your state is already death. Right. That you're we're because all I condemned. I think like we're talking about that's one of those topics or questions that people often have because things have been misread or misinterpreted that, you know, if you do one wrong thing, you're right. going to hell because God's going to send you to hell. Right. And and I just think, you know, with what we're talking about here in these in in this mystery being revealed it's 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 we've got to get that right, and, and we we get it in our head that we actually deserve better, that we deserve to go to heaven, right? Except for those really bad people who make these choices. Well, I asked you when we got here. I'm like, do you ever just feel like a horrible person? Because yeah. <laughs> like I feel like a horrible person constantly. Because but you know, we are we're all horrible people. We, we are and, wretched, in right? Ourselves. And I mean, I can laugh about that. I guess I'm not thrilled about it, but. It's it's I would have no hope in my own you know what I can do or what I can't do and so understanding that is yeah. huge. I mentioned Sproul earlier. Um, he gets asked that question uh, or got asked that question. I don't think he's getting asked any questions now. But uh, yeah. as you know, folks would say, well, well, why doesn't God save everyone? Why? Mm-hmm. And so the bigger question is, why does God save anyone? Yeah. Every single one of us, we, if we think that there is any hope or that we deserve anything better, then we have egregiously missed how horrible sin is and how pervasive this total depravity is within us. Mm-hmm. That we are, from the outset, by nature, as Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, objects of wrath. Right. It, that's who we are. And it's not that we did some specific thing now to earn it. Right. We do those specific things because we are already sinners. We, we're we not sinners simply because of our transgressions, of our law-breaking. We are, we, we are sinners, and therefore we do what sinners do. We break the law. But before the law was even given... Sin was in the world. We were talking uh, in the pre-show fistfight, as my ESPN radio uh, we folks would say. We weren't fistfighting. As we were going through this, we were talking about Genesis. And, right. and uh, um, my nephew was asking me about you know, why God seems to not be punishing directly these things. Well, there's just the nature of being separated from God is itself punishment the the death you is from already perfect there to the world like it's, right. that's and, a lot of punishment. and the only reason that we even question it right. is because we are fish swimming in water and we don't realize that we're wet you know we don't even know so we are so completely immersed in the soup of this world that we don't even recognize the wretchedness of sin and so the grace that God gives us in Christ being available to anyone is an unthinkable thing, which is why Paul in the in the latter part of of chapter three is going to get to this place where it's like, whoa, you know, I, I want you to get the how vast God's love is. Mm-hmm. And and we need to focus our attention on this God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. It's mind-blowing. And if our minds are not blown, then we don't get it yet. It's mind-blowing, but I think going back to kind of what we're talking about here, or, you know, 
circling back to what we were talking about at the beginning, it doesn't have to be confusing or it's Correct. not, you know, it's, it's, it can blow your mind and it right. should, but it does, it's not trying to trick your mind. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not the things that we don't understand right. that are difficult. It's the things that we do understand. Right. We struggle with, I mentioned earlier, you see a word like predestination and, oh my gosh, right. we, it can't be that. It has to be free will. Man, we have this That's not ridiculous really what it means. idol That's not of right. free will right. in, in, our, in our lives that we have to be free to do what we think, mm-hmm. but we just don't understand life. There's a lot of that on social media right now. Everybody knows my... I'm too old for TikTok obsession. Uh, there are people on there that... I, there's a you lot know, it's of, people your age that create and invent TikTok, right? True. That's, that's how... That's how these things. But happen. there was this guy on there the other day. People my age invented the telephone and the wheel. You know, the wheel. And <laughs> I thought you were going to say the wheel. You know, um, there was this guy on there the other day, and he was talking about. I'm not sure exactly what he said. He was talking about. He said, if you look at this and this and this, it says that Jesus, he had sin just like the rest of us, and he sinned just like the rest of. And this other guy responded, and he's like. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> but that's out there and Super like false. Yeah, but but like somebody's listening to that. Right. And somebody's going to believe that and somebody's going to maybe look at that passage or whatever and think, "Oh, he did. Right. I can see how he would get to that people conclusion." People believe it all the time. I mean, there's this big wave of people that thinking that Pete Buttigieg is a great Bible teacher that we should listen to. I'm like, "What? It, it, social influencers are not people that we should see as Bible scholars. Like, I'm I'm the first to say, and I've asked you plenty of questions about what this means or what this means. Um, I was in Leviticus a couple months or a month or so ago, and I'm like, why is this important? <laughs> and um, A book that I totally was afraid to preach. Or ex- I thought, maybe I was in Exodus when they were like, you have to have the, the temple this dynamic way. Dynamic is similar right, there. Right, right. I'm like, and like, the curtain has to be this length oh, and this whatever. Yeah, and I was like, why? About. What does this mean? Right. But it's really just... This is important, right. just as important as anything in the New Testament. I think we get bogged down in the Old Testament a lot. I certainly have been. Well, and once we see like, the connection, right? And that's then it what makes like right. that's what Romans does. That's what Hebrews does. Right. Is connecting the dots. That's why I like my program that I'm doing. It goes back and forth. But like, when we see that, everything becomes a little clearer. Right. We start to. Get and I it. think a lot of times, maybe in my generation, especially and, and beyond that, we tend to think that if it doesn't fit the agenda that I've grown up with or that everybody else thinks, that it can't mean what it really means. Because it doesn't make me feel good all the time. And it makes me struggle with my own junk and the junk going on around me. But I don't, what I've come to, I guess, learn in my limited knowledge is God's not trying to trick me. Exactly. (laughs) And, And that's the ultimate feel good situation because I don't have to like, try to interpret things or code things like you said earlier it's just flat out there i might not always like feel great about it right away but it's there and 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 you can see in the old testament as you're reading through it you can see why the mystery of the gospel was concealed what, you know, it would be easy for them to not right. see in themselves what it is right. until jesus comes right. and you see the fulfillments and then it's like Oh, I then get you it can now. look back and be like, now "Wow, Isaiah this is, fifty-three makes more right. sense." Right, and to it's me. like perfectly designed right. and perfectly interwoven, and you can see it exactly perfectly for a lack of a bad word. But I mean, it's it's the fact that like you think you need to find different meanings for different things. Like right. the, going back to what we were first talking about, the Bible isn't poetry. It's not some artistic. There are there is poetry, right? I know, it. and so, but like. It, the truth is not open to interpretation. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's not some abstract, but you know, and that's, I guess, we in 
post 20th century America or Western civilization, we're used to like, you know, cubism and mm -hmm. abstract art mm -hmm. and Jackson Pollock kind of stuff where it's like, what does that mean? It means whatever you decide it means. Where we've, like, what do you see in this Rorschach test? Right. right. We, we've turned Rorschach tests into art, you know, right. so somebody can put a, a flag in a toilet and call it art and there's a it's meaning. It's so deep. So all these things. Right. And so. I apologize what, to any artists who have done that. <laughs> I don't apologize <laughs> at all. It, it's not art. It's garbage. And, and there is. And if you want to email me about that, yeah, you know, I'll give you my cell phone number and we can www.richzeiger.com backslash the, I don't care. But <laughs> the reality of all of this is that the Bible is not that. And we're yeah. used to this postmodern idea that there is no truth. It's truth is whatever you want. Your truth, my truth. I have to speak my truth and all this kind of stuff. Which is I watched your little swimming cartoon this morning. That guy was... <laughs> Hans Feeney, Lutheran truth. satire, um, saying as a sarcastic non-Lutheran. But the, the, the reality of the scripture is that there is one right interpretation mm -hmm. and many applications that, yeah. that we work through. And just to kind of wrap things up in, in this idea of, of God's mysterious master plan being revealed in Christ... And, and becoming cohesive and clear in the gospel as Paul presented it here. Ben Shapiro um, had in his Sunday special, he does these interviews, and I don't catch them all the time, but I, um, there were two that I really, really enjoyed. And, and one was with John MacArthur, which was a fantastic interview. Um, and then one was with Ravi Zacharias before all the scandal stuff went on. And it was... One of the times in life when I was really disappointed in Ravi's answer. Uh, at the end of the interview, Ben, ben who is a, uh, a, a, an Orthodox practicing Jew, is very serious about his faith and his Judaism. And he says to Ravi Zacharias, who is a Christian apologist and, and is now, uh, has now passed away, and he said, so as somebody who does not believe in the New Testament, as you do, tell me what the New Testament adds to what I believe. And mm. Ravi gave him an answer that I thought was kind of weak, um, trying to explain it. And, and I thought to myself, you know, hey, as an apologist, this is what you do. You, how do you not know when you're going to do an interview with a Jewish guy that you should have an answer for this? Right. But really what we see, it's not that the New Testament adds to the Old Testament, but it reveals the mystery. Mm -hmm. It is the picture of what the Old Testament has always been saying that is now connecting the dots. So all of these things that are veiled, that are, are there, and you can see them, and you can see the character of God, and you can know about God, but it, it seems to be open-ended. There's, mm -hmm. there's, you haven't crossed the finish line yet. The New Testament is the finish line. It's saying all of this Here's the interpretation. Here's the answer key for all of these things that were there that you know they make sense because God says it, right. but it's talking about what is yet to come and the promises of God. And, and now in Christ, all of the dots are connected. Hmm. The picture becomes clear and evident so that the, the, in the book of Hebrews refers to you know, the, the saints of old who uh, all of these, um, we call it the Hall of Faith or the Faith Hall of Fame kind of thing, all of these Old Testament saints 
who did not see the fulfillment of the promise, but they lived faithfully. They were trusting in Christ before Christ was incarnate. And, and, and Jesus said that about Abraham. You, he's talking to the Pharisees and said, you, you go to the scriptures because you think somehow you're going to get life here. Right. But the scriptures testified to me. You're following Abraham. Abraham knew me mm-hmm. and believed this. And so this pre-incarnate uh, or, or pre-New uh, Testament, pre-gospel, however you want to say it, faith was still in Christ. It was pointing forward. Now we have it revealed and made clear. And the beauty of God's grace to everyone is consistent with what God has always said. And we have a freedom and a confidence to be able to come to him, not as insiders or outsiders and trying to earn our way with religious piety or, or, or you know, social righteousness, all, you know, all these different kinds of ways that we approach it from a doing perspective, but to recognize that God has already done it, that God has chosen and adopted us. And when we come to Christ, it's open to everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, John 3.16 says that, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's in Christ that the mystery is revealed. He died in our place as the perfect sacrifice, the fulfillment of all that Leviticus pointed to. So that anyone who believes in him, who trusts in him alone, has eternal life. And no longer has that spiritual death that is our natural state. No longer natural objects of wrath, but reborn new creatures completely united with Christ. So that all of the the sin that was inborn in us and the choices that we have made since then, all of that nailed to his cross. And we still are struggling with sin, but that doesn't define us anymore. Christ defines us. He is the fulfillment of all that God has ever promised. And that's why Paul, as he says this, the the mystery that's been revealed is that the Gentiles are now included in the same promises as Israel. All those who believe who are of Abraham's faith, not just Abraham's lineage, as we put our faith in what God has promised and we trust Christ, the fulfillment of all of that becomes true of us. I will stop you there because we're way over. Uh, But if you guys have any questions or comments, feel free to leave us a message on Facebook or a comment on YouTube. Send us an email at somethingreal at reallifeonline.org or you can leave us a voicemail at 269-756-RLCC. Indeed. And And apparently the pre-show rant did not help shorten things at all. No, uh, it didn't. We apparently have a lot to talk about. That's probably why it's called something to talk about. So (laughs) we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening.